0: Alright, the book that I am going to discuss today, it talks about Jalaluddin Rumi. And I am sure all of you are familiar with the name. Rumi was a Sufi mystic, a Persian poet and an Islamic scholar. It's too bad he wrote his poetry in Persian because so many of us have to read it in english now the translations or other languages and sometimes in fact on most times as it happens in poetry it loses its charm the energy the feel that you have in poetry in one language it's very difficult to translate it into another in fact i think it's quite impossible and yet there is some essence of it that is preserved, the idea, the, the core of it. And we would want that, don't we? So the book that I'm going to talk about, it's called Rumi's Little Book of Love and Laughter. It's written by Coleman Barks, who is also the author of The Essential Rumi, which is also an interesting read. Talks about Rumi and his works. And in this book, the one that I'm talking about today, Rumi's little book of love and laughter, the author tells us certain stories written by Jalaluddin Rumi. These are very short stories written in poetic form. And uh, they give you very interesting ideas about the life and time that he lived in. In fact, the author makes this claim at the beginning of this book that uh, some of these stories have not been really translated in other languages before. Because uh, some of them can be politically incorrect. There is a lot of talk of war and... uh, The sexual elements in them, the politically incorrect nature of it, which kind of offend our modern sensibilities. And to be honest, this is precisely the reason I picked up this book. And it's fine, we can be offensive here. But uh, on a serious note, I I don't think uh, they are that politically incorrect or there's anything wrong with these stories. I, I found them quite interesting and meaningful. And in fact, we have to acknowledge that when a writer from medieval times is talking about the life back then, the, the sex part, the wars. Uh, one thing is that that was actually taking place back then. And second thing is we have to understand in what context they are talking about it. And in so many occasions, we see that they're talking about the human instincts and impulses. They're not necessarily encouraging it, but they're identifying it and then talking about it. And what, what they're witnessing over there, then they are talking about it. So we have to keep that in mind. And uh, then we can certainly make progress in understanding this literature. So let's come back to this book. And as I promised, I was going to tell you, The short stories from this book which are written in really poetic manner so let's start the first one it's called uh, a man and a woman arguing and i don't need to tell you what it is about also one more thing uh, this title is given by the translator it's not in the original works so that's something uh, you'll find so here we go it's called a man and a woman arguing one night in the desert, a poor woman has this to say to her husband Everyone is happy and prosperous except us. We have no bread, we have no spices, we have no water jug, we barely have any clothes, no blankets for the night. We fantasize that the full moon is a cake we reach for it. We are an embarrassment even to the beggars. Everyone avoids us. Arab men are supposed to be generous warriors, but look at you stumbling around. If some guest were to come to us, we would steal his rags when when he falls asleep. Who is your guide that leads you to this? We cannot even get a handful of lentils Ten years worth of nothing. That's what we are. She went on and on like this. If God is abundant, we must be following an imposter. Who is leading us? Some fake that always says, Tomorrow illumination will bring you treasure tomorrow. As everyone knows, that never comes. Though I guess it happens very rarely sometimes that a disciple following an imposter can somehow surpass the pretender, but still I want to know what this deprivation says about us. The husband replied, finally, how long will you complain about money and our prospects for money? The torrent of our life has mostly gone by, don't worry about transient things, think how the animals live, the dove on the branch giving thanks, the glorious singing of the nightingale. The elephant, every living thing trusts in God for its nourishment. These pains that you feel are messengers, listen to them, turn them to sweetness. The night is almost over, you were young once and content, now you think about money all the time. You used to be that money, you were a healthy wine, now you are a rotten fruit. You ought to be growing sweeter and sweeter, but you've gone bad. As my wife, you should be equal to me, like a pair of boots. If one is too too tight, the pair is of no use. Like two folding doors, we cannot be mismatched. A lion does not mate with a wolf. So this man, who was happily poor, scolded his wife until daybreak when she responded. Don't talk to me about your high station. Look how you act. Spiritual arrogance is the ugliest of all things. It's like a day that's cold and snowy and your clothes are wet too. It's too much to wear. And don't call me your mate, you fraud. You scramble after scraps of bone with the dogs. You're not as satisfied as you pretend. You're the snake and the snake charmer at the same time. But you don't know it you're charming a snake for money and the snake is charming you you talk about god a lot and you make me feel guilty by using that word you better watch out that word will poison you if you use it to have power over me so the rough volume of our talking fell on the husband and he fought back this poverty is my deepest joy this bare way of life is honest and beautiful We can hide nothing when we are like this. You say I'm really arrogant and greedy. And you say I'm snake charmer and a snake. But those nicknames are for you. In your anger and your wantings, you see those qualities in me. I want nothing from this world. You're like a child that has turned round and round. And now you think the house is turning. It's your eyes that see wrong. Be patient and you'll see the blessings and the Lord's light in how we live. This argument continued throughout the day and even longer. So that's how it ends and as you see, very little idea of the background is given to us and it just starts from somewhere and it ends somewhere and it leaves us curious wanting for more what's going on there what were they like what were they thinking and you it really gets you thinking that because both of them are making pretty good arguments and you know it'll keep going on because neither is going to give up and that's how it goes in a in a relationship isn't it on a deeper level though i find it interesting something like is one person or a man trying to fool the other person or a woman in this case in the name of God or religion? Is it really the case? Or could it be that uh, one person is being who is chasing material goods is being greedy and not understanding the spiritual aspects? We don't know who's right and that's what makes it interesting. So on that note, uh, let's move on to the next story which is also really, really short. It's called uh, Chinese Art and Greek Art. The Chinese and the Greeks were arguing as to who were the better artists. The king said, we'll settle this matter with a debate. Dainese began talking, but the Greeks wouldn't say anything and they left The Chinese suggested then that they each be given a room to work on with their artistry, two rooms facing each other and divided by a curtain. The Chinese asked the king for a hundred colors, all the variations, and each morning they came to where the dyes were kept and took them all. The Greeks took no colors. They are not part of our work, they said. They went to their room and began cleaning and polishing the walls. All day, every day, they made those walls as pure and clear as an open sky. There is a way that leads from all colors to colorlessness. Know that the magnificent variety of the clouds and the weather comes from the total simplicity of the sun and the moon. The Chinese finished and they were so happy. They beat the drums in the joy of completion. The king entered the room, astonished by the gorgeous color and detail. The Greeks then pulled the curtain, dividing the rooms. The Chinese figures and images shimmeringly reflected on the clear Greek walls. They lived there even more beautifully and always changing in the light. The Greek art is the Sufi way. They don't study books of philosophical thought. They make their loving clearer and clearer. No wantings, no anger. In that purity, they receive and reflect the images of every moment. From here, from the stars, from the void. They take them in as though they were seeing with the lighted clarity that sees them. How wonderful. And that's how... It ends. And I don't think I need to explain. It pretty much tells the story here the philosophy of it, the spirituality of it, how we should be, how wonderful and beautiful it would be if we had such clarity in our heart and in our minds.